Okay. Good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see you all and to be seen by you. <clears throat> so, thank the Lord for His goodness and His mercy, um, without which we'd all be finished. And for the fact that God is so faithful to continue to work in our lives despite ourselves. Amen? Um, and even as I stand here, I'm very mindful of that, very mindful of the fact that, you know, as I share, as any of us stand up to share the word of the Lord, um, none of us qualify to do so. Um, it's only according to His grace and mercy that we can do this or anything um, for the Lord. And so it's definitely a, a privilege um, and a great opportunity. And um, we, um, last week, started to uh, have a look at the Beatitudes by way of introduction. And I mentioned that, you know, we, we lived in, live in a very secularized society where um, the realities of the kingdom are very far removed from our world and from our life and times. Um, we, we look at the pages of Scripture, and even as we look at the New Testament, we're looking down a, a tunnel of history 2,000 years. And then you go into the Old Testament, and you're going back way beyond that. And so it can be very easy for us to be very far removed. And we see signs of that all the time. Um, this was once regarded to be a Christian country. Um, and then I hear, ag again, um, just a further departure from that as we move further and further away um, in the education, um, certain authorities within the education um, field want to insist on schools teaching atheism and humanism as part of the religious studies ag agenda, part of the RE curriculum. And so it's, again, a, a further indication of just the way in which the, the culture um, seeks to depart from the Lord. And the reality is that we ought not to be surprised by this. Um, Jesus said in the end times, perilous times will come. Our greater concern is when the church finds itself going the way of the world. And that can so easily happen if we're not grounded in realistic and biblical expectations of who we're meant to be as the church. Who are we meant to be as citizens of God's kingdom? And so as we um, come to look at the Beatitudes, we give our attention to that very thing. Um, who are we meant to be as citizens, citizens of the kingdom? <clears throat> Some of you may be familiar with um, this logo. Anyone want to? Warner Brothers. Yeah. All right. This one might be a little more challenging. <laughs> Specifically, not the bootleg ones. <laughs> okay. Um, maybe this one's for the ladies. I don't know. Hmm. 
Yeah. I, d I didn't. I didn't really know if they were kind of still up there in terms of the hair care products and you know being ratings. It's but okay. Um, and this one might be for. Um, hold on. No, I can't do that one right now. Okay, let me do this one. So um, I don't want anyone under 25 to um, tell me what this one is. <laughs> exactly. It gets to a point when it's just a, a bit nonplussed. <laughs> yeah. So this is Snapchat, um, probably the most popular social media platform for under 25s. Um, and all of these things are logos that are visual depictions of the brand they represent and become very much associated with the, the qualities and the virtues that that brand consists of. So you look at something like Snapchat and young people would view that as being their go-to platform over and above Twitter um, or Instagram even. And so for them, it holds much more value in their minds. You look at something like Beats and people associate that with quality audio. And so there are certain characteristics that are represented by these logos. And in that, the, the images serve as a representation of those characteristics. And so for us as believers, what are the characteristics that our lives should embody and that we should represent when people see us as Christians? When they look at us and they hear you're a Christian, or even they don't even hear that, but they see the characteristics that they should actually be able to associate that with being a kingdom citizen, a follower of Christ. And so um, this is our consideration as we look at the Beatitudes. Who are we to be? And what are we to look like in ways that reflect our relationship with God? And so we're looking at Matthew chapter 5. Um, and I'll... read from verse 1 and then I'll pray seeing the crowds he went up on the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed in the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for sh they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when 
Others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these great and precious promises that you've given us in Christ Jesus. You've given to all who would come to you. And on the face of it, it can seem quite quaint or even straightforward just by reason of familiarity. But Lord, you speak deep and rich truths through these statements in ways that ought to impact and challenge and encourage us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we um, just take our time to really meditate on your word and unpack them, that, Lord, you would speak to us through them um, in ways that would be transformative, in ways that would change us, in ways that would cause us to be more like Jesus, in ways that are discernible, definable, recognizable. And so... And we commit our time to you and ask for your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Happiness. Um, something that we all desire. Something that we all long for and if not pursue. And the pursuit of happiness in and of itself is somewhat of a, an, an innate, built-in agenda that we all have. Even the most spiritual of us, even the most um, sober-minded, even the most disciplined, even the most austere, if you like, of us um, who are such that we're able to keep ourselves from temptation and trials and earthly pleasures and things that would not be profitable in a spiritual sense. Even so, we still have a certain happiness that we desire. In Ecclesiastes, it says that eternity has been sown in our hearts. And to understand what that fully means would be to try and understand fully what eternity really holds. But there's definitely one sense in which there is a longing in us for more than that which we have. And so as we look at these Beatitudes, we see Jesus commenting on the reality of happiness. The word used for blessed or blessed, as if you're, if you're old school and <laughs> familiar with quoting them according to the King James it would be, blessed are the peacemakers. However you pronounce it, the general sense being conveyed is that of happiness. And contrary to popular opinion, Jesus is concerned for the happiness of his people. God is concerned for our happiness. God has purposed that we would be happy. We considered last time the definition of happiness that most people work by. Happiness 
is that situation when every circumstance meets my desires and expectations. Now, we appreciate that that could never be the true definition of happiness. We all cannot always be happy all of the time. It's not possible. If happiness was simply down to my every desire and expectation being met all of the time, me having it my way all of the time, then there's going to be a point at which my happiness will cause someone else to be unhappy. So we all cannot always be happy all of the time. Now, I don't even know if that sentence structure is actually legitimate in grammatical terms. But I think it kind of works to convey the sentiment. And so, true happiness is not defined by our happiness. It's not defined by us having it our way all the time, even though that's what Burger King claimed to, to offer us. But fundamentally, it must center on he who is ultimate and his happiness. And so when the Bible's talking about these blessings of the Beatitudes, it's a happiness that starts with God and starts in God and not with us. And as much as for some of us that can sound like a, oh, that's kind of sad, it's kind of neglectful, Actually, it's something that should encourage us and cause us to have joy. That our happiness is not dependent on us. I mean, I would challenge anyone to put your hand up if you have always made yourself happy. Now, circumstances come into our lives and we, they might make us happy, unhappy. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about us being made unhappy by external circumstances. Have you always made yourself happy? No. And so if, if it was reliant upon us and it was dependent on us, then we would have every reason to be unhappy even before we try because we know we can't. And so our happiness is not dependent on us it comes from and is centered in God. Now, there are a couple of verses of Scripture that help us to appreciate this. Um, and these are often quotables that are kind of shared amongst Christians. And dare I say, I think often we get them wrong. So the, the first one is from Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And we encourage one another with that verse. We encourage ourselves with that verse. But does it mean what we think it means? Does it mean the joy I have about God? Is that what is meant by the joy of the Lord? I'm so delighted about God. Is that the joy that is my strength? What about those occasions when God challenges me? What about those occasions when it feels like God's got me by the scruff of the neck? 
up against the wall without any wriggle room. And I want something, but God doesn't. And I don't feel happy with God in that moment. What about those occasions when I feel like, God, you're so far from me. Do you even really love me? And I don't feel delighted about God in those moments. What about those times when in our lives we actually feel like God's left, let us down? There are times when we go through those seasons. And it might be a severe disappointment that we feel that God could have averted. These are real experiences of the Christian life. So is it the joy I have about God? Well, is it the joy that God puts in me? So is, it, is that the joy that is my strength? Or is it my response to the joy that God has? Now, what's going to help us is to have a little bit of a look at the context. We always um, encourage everyone as believers to be Bereans. In Acts 17, the Bereans were commended by the Apostle Paul. Not only did they receive the scriptures, but they examined it to see that it was so. And so they didn't just take, even from the, the mighty orator Apostle Paul, they didn't just take from him what he said was to be the word of God. But actually, they examined the scriptures to see that it was so. And as we do that, we need to do that in a way that is contextual. And so they say that a verse taken out of context, no, I mash up the saying already. <laughs> a text taken out of context is a con. Yeah? You know, you see why I had to say it right now, yeah? A text taken out of context is a con. And we can't build our understanding on what's known as a pretext or an isolated verse. So as we look at this, just even looking at the setting in which this quotable comes from, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink wine, drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so we see here that there's an interaction going on um, from among the people and the leader who is instructing them in the way of the Lord. Let's go back a little bit further, just one verse. Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So now we're getting a little bit more clarity. And in your own time, you can look at the, the whole of chapter 8. And what we see is the people of God had been in, in bondage. They'd been in exile. And they had come back into the land. And Nehemiah and Ezra as leaders were now rallying the people of God. And Ezra had given himself to the word and was now bringing the word of God, the law of God to the people. In a way that hadn't been done for decades. For at least 70 years, 
the people of God had not been exposed to the, to the law of God as been, had been given by Moses. And so the people, they began to listen to the word. And Brother Bertram shared from this a few weeks back. And they stood all day listening to the word of God. And this was their response as they heard the word of God. They wept and they mourned as they heard the word of God. Why did they weep and mourn? Was it because it was too conflicting? Was it because it was, they, were, they were convicted? Why were they weeping and mourning? But one of the fundamental reasons why they wept and mourned at the hearing of the law was the fact that it hadn't been heard for so long. And they realized what they had been missing. And in that, they began to mourn and weep at that which had been lost to them as a people, as the people of God. There was such deep regret. Maybe as they looked at their lives, they looked and saw how far from the word they were living. And in that, they wept. And so they're being told, don't weep and don't mourn. Go and eat the fat and drink the sweet wine. That sounds like party talk. In any of our social occasions, they're always made sweeter by good food and drink. Often we will go to great lengths to lay on nice food and good drink. I know certain people, if they go to a function and there's no super malt, that's it, it's mashed up for them. <laughs> go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. The Lord marks this day. This day is significant. This day is set apart from other days. This day, the Lord regards this day. The day the law was reintroduced to the nation. And in, it is in this that they need not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so as we consider it in its context, we recognize that actually the joy being spoken of was the joy that God had in that day. They mourned, but God delighted. God rejoiced. My people are being reconnected to my word. All right, it's on now. We're back. And God rejoiced in that because he knew the impact that that would have on them as a, as a community and as a nation and as his people. They knew. And in God's joy, the people were being encouraged to take joy, to be joyous. Not just about the joy that we may have about God. They, didn't, they, they weren't feeling very joyous in that moment. And it's not just the, the joy that God puts in me as a work of his spirit. But there's, there is a joy that we have when we appreciate God's joy, his pleasure. 
And it is a joy that causes us to respond to that. We see this also in the, another quotable. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. For the longest time as a believer, I thought that this was the ticket to whatever I want. As long as I just put God first, I can ask him for anything, however big, however small, and I will have it guaranteed. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When actually it, it better, it's better understood as make the Lord your delight and he will give you the desires of your heart. And in the way that the Hebrews would write poetry, they wouldn't rhyme words like hat and cat. They would rhyme thoughts. And so the second part of the phrase is related to the first part of the phrase. And the desires of the heart are directly related to the delight of the Lord. And so in this we see we're being challenged to make the Lord our delight. And the thing is this, when the Lord is your delight, you will be delighted by him. And he will give you the delights of your heart because he will be the delight of your heart. God has promised to give us himself. And so, in this we recognize that when we begin to look at happiness in the context of the Beatitudes, actually what we're doing is we are considering the result of God's declaration of his pleasure. God declares his pleasure. And as a result, we experience the consequence of that. The consequence of that joy, that happiness. We are made happy by God's happiness in us and for us. Practical example. Any young person will know what it's like to make your parent or parents unhappy. Some of you would have been very nervous at the time when your exam results were being uh, delivered because you knew that actually bad results could result in some great displeasure maybe even expressed forcefully in your direction. <laughs> even the person who got the B and felt quite accomplished, quite relieved, only to be greeted with B? What is that? <laughs> Where is the A? Star. <laughs> <laughs> but to be able to Deliver those results and see the joy on your parents' face fills you with great happiness that you've made them happy. Their pleasure fills you with pleasure. It's like the spouse who's, and particularly husbands, I think is probably true to say, whose wife has been away. 
And we know, coming back to the house looking like this, it's going to be a madness. She will not be happy. And we endeavor to do our utmost <laughs> to ensure that her happiness is my happiness. <laughs> and sometimes we fail. But when we think about the Lord and we consider happiness from his point of view, it's, it's, it's hard to put into a succinct statement, but this is my attempt. True happiness is the result of God's declaration of his pleasure in us as a result of our embrace of his work. You see, as God declares, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, God is declaring his pleasure, his happiness. And in that situation, whoever fits the criteria is then able to find happiness and delight in God's pleasure. But any individual who is truly one who is poor in spirit or mourns or hungers and thirsts for righteousness or is a peacemaker, whichever one of them you choose, we have to appreciate and recognize that we only find ourselves qualifying because of what God does in us. We only find ourselves qualifying because of what God does in us. But that is the center and focus of our happiness. Now, a brother called Sam Storms who's written on this says that the emphasis of true happiness is more on divine approval than on human feeling. But then again, nothing should make us happier than to realize what God approves. And to find ourselves in a place where God approves of us is such that that should be the ultimate happiness. We have so many people in life who are finding happiness in things that God disapproves of, only in the end to be disappointed. And yet, true happiness that we experience is the result of God's declaration of his pleasure in us as a result of our embrace of his work. And this is to the glory of God. There's a, a brother who's caught a lot of um, heat and has been questioned hard about this certain position that he's taken. Um, John Piper, known and loved by many, has been a foremost advocate of what's known as Christian hedonism. And people are like, those two words don't go together. Christian and hedonism? That's, that's a contradiction in terms. Because the notion is, that hedonism is finding pleasure in all kinds of ungodly and even unlawful things. And yet, the saying goes, God is most glorified in us 
when we are most satisfied in him. And this is, in essence, what Christian happiness really looks like. And it doesn't mean that we won't find ourselves at times unhappy, but we can still be happy in our unhappiness knowing that God is happy with our state and position. And it's a much more balanced and it's a much more healthy way to view our lives and relationship with God. Because if we think that God is just there to make us happy all the time, we will be constantly throwing our toys out the pram. Because God has not promised to make us happy all the time. But he has promised to reveal his glory in us, even through difficult and challenging situations. And so as we move into the Beatitudes, we see that actually in the same way Christian hedonism is considered a contradiction in terms, we look at the, the Beatitudes and likewise we see Statements made by Jesus that in themselves seem like a contradiction in terms. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn. That sounds like a contradiction. For they shall be comforted. Hmm. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, in each of these so far, we see a sense of lack. Blessed are those, happy are those who are poor in spirit. And so there's a, there's a sense of lack being identified. And in that sense of lack, actually, God regards us as being in a blessed place where we're in a happy place. And we're in that happy place because it's the place where he wants us. And in each of the Beatitudes, we see a position or a condition of life, a state of our hearts that the Lord himself wants. And that is something to rejoice in. They say that it doesn't matter where you are, there's nowhere better to be than in the perfect will of God. Just knowing that you're in God's will, there's nowhere better to be. And this is God's will communicated. So there are five things I think that we need to observe and appreciate about the Beatitudes. Five things, before we get into them properly, five things that are going to help us appreciate and understand them better. Firstly, the Beatitudes do not represent the way to become a Christian. This is not a list of things that we have to do in order to become a Christian. Rather, they are the qualities, virtues, or defining characteristics of a Christian. So they don't make you a Christian, 
but they reflect the fact that you are. When you look at the Beats by Dre logo of quality audio equipment, it's not the logo that makes the equipment quality. The logo is just a representation of the value that that technology holds. And likewise, as these virtues are evidenced in your life and in my life, they reflect the fact that we are a Christian. We can no more become a Christian by trying to fulfill the Beatitudes than a dead person can make themselves alive. Imagine somebody has a heart attack. They drop down. They die momentarily. The medical team are on hand and begin to administer CPR. They restore a heartbeat, take them to the hospital, and they find that this individual needs an immediate heart transplant. They have a donor heart suited and a, and a match available. And so the surgeon comes in, performs the surgery, opens up the chest, exchanges the heart, and the person is able to go on and live. What part did that person play in their new life, in achieving their new life? They didn't do anything to help achieve their new life. Rather, it was done for them. And in this, we recognize the sacrifice of Christ. Christ done for us as sinners, what we could not do for ourselves. There are no efforts that we can make to make ourselves alive in Christ. The Bible says that an individual apart from God is dead in their trespasses and sins. And yet, the Lord performs a holy heart transplant. And he takes out our heart of stone and he gives us the heart of the Lord, the heart of flesh. And it cost Jesus his life in order for us to be able to receive life. He died in the process. And yet having given life, he was raised from the dead to demonstrate the power of life and death is in his hands alone. And so, we don't become a Christian by trying to fulfill all of the Beatitudes. We become a Christian by trusting in what Christ has done and receiving it by faith. Second thing we need to note, the Beatitudes are not a list of success criteria for the Christian. And so, it's not now that we've become a Christian, um, this is the measure of success. When we stand before the Lord, the Lord will not say, well done, you good and successful servant. He says, well done, you good and faithful servant. And so again, it's not a measure of 
how successful we have become as Christians, recognizing that the fulfillment of the Beatitudes is God's work in us, and yet the evidence of them are indicators of Christian maturity. As we unpack the Beatitudes over the next few weeks, and you begin to understand them better, it's helpful for us to look at ourselves and say, to what extent are those qualities evident in my life? You may be somebody who has professed faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you, then all of the Beatitudes should be seen in your life and in my life. They're not a, a pick and mix. And some are for some Christians or some are for others. The third thing I would mention is that the Beatitudes are not a daily to-do list for us as Christians. But rather, they are a, a list, if you like, of prayer points. In the same way that the intercessory prayer warrior group would come together and receive prayer requests, they receive the prayer requests not with the intention of trying to fulfill them themselves, but trusting that as those prayer requests are committed to the Lord, He will answer prayer and He will fulfill them. Our growth and maturity in Christ Jesus is the work of God. Philippians 1.6 says that God is faithful to finish the work that He started in us unto the day of Christ Jesus. And that should be a great stress relief for you because Nobody loves looking at a list of, of commands. Nobody loves looking at a list of expectations, especially ones that can feel so hard to, to fulfill and so unachievable. To say that I'm going to be like this all the time, I'm always going to be the peacemaker, I'm always going to rejoice when I'm persecuted. And so... These are the things that we commit to the Lord in prayer, that he would work them in us. Trusting that he's faithful to answer prayer. And he's powerful enough to change and transform us. The fourth thing I would say about the Beatitudes that we need to know. <clears throat> They're not able to be achieved by our own efforts, but are a supernatural work of God that we embrace. Now, Lots of people have different views on the supernatural, even as Christians. You cannot be a Christian and not believe in the supernatural. It's, it's an oxymoron. It's, it's mutually exclusive. We cannot claim to believe in Christ, he who is raised from the dead, and not believe in the supernatural. Some people say that the gifts of the Spirit, they're not for today, they've been fulfilled and so on. Whatever your view is, you cannot be a Christian and not believe in the supernatural and not believe that God is supernaturally at work in our life and times. Or else, how have you become a Christian? Jesus said, unless a person is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of heaven. That's not something that we just do by educating ourselves with the, the, the verses of Scripture. 
That is a supernatural work that is achieved by God's Spirit. And so we must have an expectation and confidence that God works supernaturally and works supernaturally in us. And it's something that we must embrace. The last thing I would say about the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are for now in part and yet are fully for the future. They are for now in part, but are fully for the future. When we read, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, it's not suggesting that we're going to have heaven on earth right now in its fullness. When it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, it doesn't mean that we won't go through experiences where we won't be given mercy. There will be often times when, as much as we desire it, people will not be merciful to us. And yet, we can expect that in part. We can expect uh, uh, a foretaste of glory divine. The songwriter said, one of my grand's favorite hymns, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And that's, I grew up hearing that and not even understanding what... What a foretaste. But it's it's the appetizer before the main course. It's It's a glimpse of the fullness that is to come. And so as we look at the promises given in each of these Beatitudes, let's appreciate that, no, we don't just have to wait until heaven before we get it at all. We can expect to experience that in our life now, but we won't experience the fullness of it until we do get to heaven. And you can understand why it's, it's helpful for us to be, be clear about that. Because when the Bible says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, there are those who would take that as a license to go and claim properties and claim lands and estates and in time to come as God's people we shall enjoy enjoy the fullness of a new heaven and a new earth where all is given liberally for us to enjoy and yet in the meantime we can trust that God cares for and is concerned for our happiness in him. Kingdom happiness. And in that, he is committed to work in us in such ways that would bring about his good pleasure. 
and would cause us to delight in his delight that he has over us and our embrace of his work. And so, as I ask the team to um, come back, I'm going to suggest that we take a moment to just think and consider in what ways do we need to repent as we hear this? For some of us, we try and find things to make us happy in those moments of unhappiness like the person who engages in comfort eating or retail therapy or binge watching Netflix or drugs and drink or sex or whatever the case might be. Do we look to these things as functional saviors, none of which ever deliver We binge watch Netflix and at the end of it where our soul is still longing and we're no better than we were when we started. We engage in retail therapy and in the moment we're, we're happy and in we get the bank statement and we cry. <laughs> yeah. That's the reality because there is nothing in this life that can satisfy us, that can provide us true pleasure, like knowing the pleasure of God over us. And this pleasure was accomplished by Jesus. Jesus is he who God spoke from heaven in an audible voice. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Twice in the life of Jesus, it is recorded, this happened. Jesus pleased the Father in order that the Father would always be pleased with you. Not based on your works, not based on your performance, not based on your holiness, not based on your in intense good intentions, based on what Jesus has done for you. And so we rejoice in him, the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah, rejoicing in all that he has done for us. I'm going to ask if we would stand. Maybe we need to repent of those go-to things that we've tried to cling to. Maybe we need to be more trusting, more trusting that Jesus is enough, more trusting that actually God is concerned for our happiness in him and has purposed and planned for it through Christ. More trusting that even though we experience unhappiness at times, that's okay. God's still in control.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your goodness and your loving kindness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your care. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and you have shown yourself faithful. You have demonstrated your virtue, your character, and your goodness by sending Jesus. Jesus being the one who made you happy ultimately so that in him you would be happy about us. As your word says in Zephaniah 3.17, that Lord, you rejoice. You rejoice over your people with singing. And it can be hard for us to, to imagine that or accept that because we are constantly reminded of our failings. Constantly reminded that we cannot make ourselves happy as much as we may try. And yet, Lord, you're so good to see us in Christ as a new creation, to rejoice over us, to take pleasure in us. And may that be our greatest pleasure, Lord. Your pleasure and your satisfaction in us, Lord. Thank you. I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to show yourself strong. That, Lord, you would lead us in the way of righteousness. That, Lord, you would develop us and nurture us to exhibit liberally, generously, abundantly your virtues, your qualities and characteristics as they are seen in the Beatitudes of our Lord. And so, Lord, we just ask that you'd have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.